Let's get this podcast going. Let's welcome everybody out today to episode 62 of Utah in the Weeds. My name's Chris Hollifield. And I'm Tim Pickett. And uh, today we basically announce we have a full house of open pharmacies in Utah. This is big. And this is really big, Tim. This is big. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's kind of like day one again. And for that announcement, it's the perfect time to talk about how to pay for your cannabis with Tyler Burline. He's from Hyper, who if uh, if you been to any of the cannabis dispensaries here in uh, in Utah, well, really anywhere, you've probably are familiar with. You've, you've seen that as an option, as a way to pay for your products. So uh, it's an interesting topic to be able to bring to the podcast and kind of find out the back end of it, the ins and outs, and and kind of what's coming, even some of the uh, stuff of what's coming up here yeah. in the next little while here in Utah. Exactly, because right now, if you buy cannabis in anywhere in the U.S., most people know you have to use cash still because Visa, MasterCard, they won't accept those transactions. But Hyper has found a way to do that. And and our conversation today kind of explains that process, why it's like that, and what things we could look forward to to make that a little bit easier. Because I know there's been a lot of listeners and a lot of patients of mine that have talked about how cumbersome it is to have to register and have to wait for those days for the transaction to go through. So we go through all of that today. But like I say, it's a good day to go through it because you can buy cannabis now legally in 14 locations in Utah. When do they announce that 15th location, Tim? Do we know? So there's not, uh, I have talked to a few people about that. There's not a date for the request. They, they do an application process, which hasn't even started. The state has not, as far as I know, hasn't put out the request for a proposal yet. So no plans, no information on when that 15th um, pharmacy will be announced. I, I mean, come on, it's going to be in Moab. Yeah, right. well, it better be. I think? mean, it really needs to be. And the fact that they haven't even... I mean, we need to get this ball rolling with how long it took them to get all the other pharmacies opened up. This is going to take forever. I mean, they're going to need to have 18 yeah. locations and 20 by the time they get out the 15. It's, just, <laughs> it's totally true. But uh, anything else? Let's see. UtahMarijuana.org slash podcast. You can listen to all the podcast episodes there. Uh, you can share them. Share them with your family and friends. Let's get this, uh, you know, get get the uh, word out about the podcast. There's a lot of good information out there that a lot of people can benefit from. So let's uh, get the word out about the podcast. And um, anything else you want to mention before we get into the episode, Tim? The only other thing is if you want to reach out to us, you know, use utahmarijuana.org. Reach out to to, uh, Chris or I. If you know somebody with a great story that you think needs to be shared, you know, we'll love to have them on the podcast. Check out our, you know, stay in with our events because we're going to be out there in the community at these events as we as the place opens up is because world, apparently COVID is, is over. As the world opens up. <laughs> awesome. I'm yep. excited though. So in Salt Lake City, their next issue is coming out here soon. So we'll keep everybody posted on that. But uh, Cool. But, Enjoy this conversation. All right, guys, here we go. First of all, I want to Let's find out where you're based out of, Tyler. Where are you based out of right uh, now? Scottsdale, Arizona. Now, is that where Hyper, the complete organization, the company is based out of, or is that just you? It is. It's uh, We're based out of Scottsdale. We've got, um, we've got some remote uh, C-suite 
execs. Uh, and we, you know, we live on planes. So um, I say I'm, I'm based in Scottsdale and Southwest Airlines. Oh, wow. So why, the, why all the travel? We have institutions that are clients all over the country that bank the industry. Um, and then that's parlayed into, uh, you know, becoming a resource for many of the state governments, federal government as well. Uh, and then I've been fortunate to speak at a, at a number of events now. Um, so it just, it, you know, every week is different. Every day is different. So it just depends on what's going on during that time. So tell us what, tell us what hyper is. What is hyper? Yeah, hyper it, it's, is very different depending on where it's facing. Um, and, and what I mean by that is hyper was, is a technology that was built by bankers for bankers to solve their challenges with highly regulated industries. Um, so, you know, people think that this is just a cannabis issue. It's really not. I would argue it's as much of a cash intensive issue as a federal illegality issue, uh, because from a compliance standpoint, for a banker crediting to bank this industry, it's very cumbersome. It's very difficult. And there's a ton of risk. And so we were built to help institutions enter and scale within these markets. That led to the payment side of Hyper. Um, we knew we had to start with compliance because at the end of the day, this is a, a banking problem, not a payment problem. And if you couldn't solve the banking side of it, the payment mechanism would never survive. Um, and we've seen that play out year after year, and we're about to see it play out with another product that's become really popular in the industry, unfortunately. Whose idea was it for Hyper? Like, is, was there, was it one person's idea? I mean, was it, I mean, to go against banking and cannabis, that just seems like there was a lot of like, I mean, that's a lot of legal problems. That's a lot of, uh, that's a big can of worms to open up. I mean, was that a tough, I'm throwing a lot of questions out there, I guess. No, that's yeah, right. I mean, what, what, how, how did that work out? Like in the very beginning, man, I mean, to cannabis, first of all, and then you got, you're up against the federal government with, with money and banking. How did that work? Uh, well, it didn't, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, it was, a, it was a very heavy lift, and I was very fortunate. Um, our founders, uh, one of them in particular, banked high-risk industries for 20-plus years with a, a community bank in California, knew this inside out, you know, had been through the regulatory hurdles in other industries. Uh, and then we had a team of founders that, we're all experts in their in their specific area. But I can tell you that when we first launched, I mean, I was there seven years ago when probably the first bank in the country started banking this in Colorado. I mean, I, I was literally in the building. And uh, what people don't realize is not only were the institutions trying to understand how to do this, but regulators were under, trying to understand it too. Um, and so you had this weird dynamic where, you know, it took a very unique type of bank to take the risk. Then the regulators came in, they didn't understand the industry, they didn't want banks banking it because they didn't know how to examine an institution. And I'll never forget, one of our founders asked the examiners, first ever examination of a bank in this space, they asked him to lunch. And he asked him the question, he said, look, is, is there an FFIEC handbook, which is the, the, essentially the advisory body to regulators um, on how to examine an institution banking the space? And the regulator said, no. And he said, well, how do you examine an institution when you have no guidance? And the regulator literally held up his hands. He said, we're winging it. And, um, you know, that was very problematic for a number of reasons. One, they didn't understand the industry. So they asked for things that were not attainable. 
right? And they held institutions to a standard that could not be checked by anybody. And then you had, even within the same regulatory body, different regions would take a different stance on it. And so you had this dichotomy where every regulator looked at it differently, even by region, they looked at it differently. And so there was no real framework. There was no real um, set of rules. And, and so over time, over the last seven years, and I've been forced to spend a lot of time with regulatory bodies, all of them, um, they've all come up with, I would say, a general standard of what their expectations are. And that has propelled more institutions in over the years because it's not just this, you know, uh, it's not just this floating, unattainable thing. They can permissibly bank this industry. It's been done for seven years now. Um, and there's a model and there's a, a set expectation of what's required of those institutions. And this comes because you basically, like, I think people, they don't really understand that this at its core. You can't just go down to the bank with a pile of cash and deposit it and then come back the next day with another pile of cash and deposit it, selling what quote unquote legal cannabis or another type of product that is what you would call like high risk, but we're in the cannabis space. So we can just use that as a great, good example. Even you could say like California has a legal medical market. I can legally sell it in California. Like we can here, you can legally sell it. You can't just go to the bank and you're saying because, because there's no regulation, the bank can't really accept your money. No, it's, it's not even, it's not even that. And, and again, going back to the cash intensive nature when, when you're dealing in a cash intensive environment, if I'm a bank and I accept $100,000 in cash and my regulator comes to me and says, hey, prove to me that that $100,000 in cash came from legitimate transactions and not a terrorist organization. If you can't prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that those monies came from a, a verifiable transaction or verifiable business, you're in, you're in the hot seat. And, and what people don't realize is not only is the bank or credit union charter on the line, but the officers of the institutions have personal liability. So if I'm a, if I'm a chief compliance officer of a bank and something goes wrong and my regulator determines that it was my fault, I can have a civil money penalty imposed on me personally that can't be covered by the insurance policy of the institution. So it's not just liability on the institution side. Everybody involved has liability at this point. And, and one other thing I'll touch on in California, I was involved in that state. It, it, you know, I would say the government level from an advisory standpoint for a long time. And, and one thing we tried to preach to them over time was, look, the reason institutions aren't banking your market and the reason you have a, a, a cash crisis is because you haven't come up with a finite regulatory framework for your program. So California 20 years ago passed this, you know, I'm going to say a gray medical market. None of the municipalities followed. And so as a banker credit union or from a regulator standpoint, how do I bank an industry if I can't even determine whether or not an operator is complying with state or local law? And so when, when they implemented their regulatory framework, January 1, 2018, we saw a whole slew of institutions come into bank it. Um, and I would argue, no matter where you're at in the country at this point, if you can't or you're not banked and you're in the cannabis industry, you either just don't want to pay any fees or you're doing something nefarious. Um, this industry is banked regardless of what's published in the media. 
Interesting. And in Utah, that the institution that's decided to step up in Utah was Utah First Credit Union, right? But why a credit union, not uh, like a Citibank or a? It doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter what the what the. Uh, what type of institution it is. It doesn't matter if they're nationally chartered. It doesn't matter if they're state chartered. Every one of those regulatory bodies has experience with the state legal cannabis space. Now, I will say this, the NCUA has been, I would say, you know, it, it, at the pinnacle as far as trying to help institutions behind the scenes, trying to be open-minded about it with the thought that, look, our communities are much safer with this cash off the streets than it being out there. And so I would say that they've done some things uh, progressively that other regulators just haven't. And so if, if I'm a credit union, I take comfort in that, whereas many banks you know, don't necessarily have that comfort level. Interesting. Got a couple of questions here. I want to make sure that we ask them. Uh, I asked online here, uh, Tyler, if anybody, if any of our listeners had any questions that we'd be chatting with you. And uh, one of our listeners, actually, Zach King, he was on the podcast before, so he's a former guest. His first question is, is he says is, one question I have is, what is it that takes the process longer than a day or two when some other transactions are instantaneous? It's an ACH. Uh, and so it depends on when a, when a transaction is run through a financial institution, Hyper doesn't, I'm going to say, touch money, right? So our banks that openly bank the state legal cannabis industry move the funds from the consumer's account into the merchant's, right? That is subject to the Fed processing times for ACH. So if a transaction's run on a Saturday and it's after five o'clock, it's, it's not going to hit until the following Monday. Um, and then there, there are situations where uh, a, a transaction is pulled from a consumer's account uh, maybe they withdrew monies after the time that we validated the funds were available in their account. And so there's an overdraft. And so we represent to collect those funds on the 1st and 15th. So those things are not ideal. Um, but I can tell you that we are about to launch a product uh, that's much more mainstream and will really help mitigate some of those issues. Can you talk about this product or is it top secret kind of? Not too much. Um, I can tell you that it's been approved uh, at the state level. Uh, and it's it's going to be, uh, again, much more mainstream, and it will not have any of those delays in uh, transaction processing. Because like when you go to Nevada, it's my understanding that there's it's essentially like an ATM system at the terminal. They're about to go down nationwide. Uh, the cashless ATMs are... Um, they become really popular in the state legal cannabis industry. They're not permissible. They're not sustainable. Uh, and I don't want to say too much, but I, I would expect those products to be gone within the next 60 days. All, to, all together, right? Like, I mean, I was, I was literally there three, three, four weeks ago. You, you put your card in and essentially like a, like a cashless ATM. And I'm thinking, oh, well, they're, they're getting around the merchant, the, the merchant piece. And this sort of thing. Wow, this is so. What you're saying is there are products. So let's talk about that for a second. What, what I'm saying is the AT, the cashless ATM model in its own right is fraudulent, right? Because you're representing to an acquiring bank that this is a on-premise physical ATM that's not being used at the point of purchase for a federally illegal product. Above and beyond that, there are some network issues. There are some documentation issues, uh, and I'll just say that. 
it's not above board, regardless of what's being presented in, in the, uh, to the merchants. Uh, and there are some, there are some things that work, uh, that, you know, are, are going to be here very soon. Well, that kind of leads me to a question that Zach had. He had one more question here that he wants to know, uh, if the more act gets signed in what way will that affect hyper? If any, if it will affect it in any way. Yeah. You know, we've gotten a lot of questions about more and we've gotten a lot of questions about safe. And I've actually spent a lot of time with, with some lobbyists and politicians on these things. And it doesn't have uh, much of an effect, unfortunately. So if you're talking about the safe actor more, again, the industry is already banked. Uh, regulators and in, in institutions have worked together over the last seven years to really, I'm going to say, solve this problem. But more importantly, people want credit cards. Right. Understandably so. It's convenient. They know it. Uh, people want that that ease of transaction. The branded card networks have been very specific about federal legality. Right. So they are not going to enter the market until the product is federally legal. Uh, and there are a number of reasons behind that. And so, you know, it, it's interesting. I'm, I've been forced to be on the board of MJ Biz and they did a poll when the SAFE Act you know, got passed to the house and they said, what are you most excited about? And probably 80% of the people that reacted said, we're, we're so excited to run credit cards. Well, that's not, that's not in the realm of possibility until federal legality. Those two acts don't change the federal legal status of the product. And so unfortunately, um, I don't, I don't see that having much of an impact uh, from a payment banking standpoint, even when this goes federally legal, yes, credit cards will be there, but this will still be a highly regulated cash intensive industry and your banking options are going to remain limited. See, I think that it's important for us to talk about this because it's important to keep these expectations in the in kind of like the scope of reality. There's just so much misinformation and it's it's not intentional. It's just that we, we all just kind of make it up, I guess. We're all kind of making up what we want and what we want to see. Well, you, you, you have expectations of how things should work, right? In, in a mainstream industry, and people get frustrated and they say, well, why can't I do this? And, and, you know, we have to tell them, look, I mean, again, this is still a federally illegal industry, even though the states have approved it. And even though it's spreading like wildfire, you've got to contend with that. But then people don't understand the cash intensive business issues. I mean, I've, I've probably sent, I've probably sent over a thousand merchants to the, a banker credit and that will bank them over the years. But I get calls from the gun and ammo industry, payday lenders, uh, check cashing companies, all of these companies that have banking issues, just like cannabis, they just, the, the topic's not as polarizing. So people don't really talk about it. Right. So um, it, it's, it's just one of those things. And to your point, you know, it's grossly misinformed and then combine that with all of the bad actors that see dollar signs come sprinting towards the cannabis market and misinform merchants intentionally because they want to make money. Right. And so you've got this dichotomy that just, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not ideal. To kind of change this a little bit, if you go to like a discussion about crypto and blockchain, right, you've got a kind of a growing this same kind of hype, right? And you bypass the banking industry a little bit. You keep your, your money offline. I mean, do you see a place for that to come up? No. Uh, no, I'll tell you a story. I was with a, I won't say who, but I was with a very large regulatory body. And it was 
somebody very high up in that regulatory body in a full room of examiners. And, and they wanted to know what was happening on the ground floor in certain states, you know, within the region. And the question was posed by this person, what do you think of cryptocurrency being involved in payments in the space? I said, honestly, I, I don't think it has any place. You're trying to combine one highly regulated industry that banks and credit unions already have a nightmare trying to handle with another. And I said, from a compliance standpoint, it scares the heck out of me. There are taxation issues that are awful. And before I could even finish what I was saying, this person slammed their fist on the table and said, you're damn effing right. If we find out our institutions are banking payment companies that participate in both crypto and cannabis, they're either going to have to shut down those accounts or fold their program entirely. So one, I don't know what benefit it really provides at the end of the day. Um, two, I, I think it's it's a long ways off. Um, plus, you've also got same day ACH coming. Um, it's already being implemented. And so a, a lot of the argument about instant transfers or things being cheaper, I think you're going to see go by the wayside. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting topic. People naturally relate the two, uh, but there's really no place uh, for it. Sure. You know, because if you don't, if you don't have, uh, you know, the named merchant like the Visa, the MasterCard, the American Express, you're essentially, you know, what I've heard was you could bypass, you basically bypass that, right? And you just pay with some other type of currency than cash. But like you say, this is eventually you have to put your money somewhere. Just like with cash, you cannot have a business that's that big. Correct. And, and the other part of it is too, and I try to explain this to people, your most valuable asset in this industry is your licensure, right? So if you're doing something nefarious or you're trying to get around the system or, or skirt rules and regulations, you're only hurting yourself. I mean, your goal in this industry, I mean, essentially you're in the compliance business now, right? And everything you do should be in that vein. And everything that your bank or credit union is asking you for is because they're trying to do things right to sustainably bank the market and help you. And I know it can be cumbersome. I know it can be difficult. I get calls from merchants all the time saying, why is my bank or credit union asking for this? And my response to them is because they're doing it right. And you should be thankful for that. Where do you see things go? I mean, with Hyper, where do you see this in five years? I mean, or is it hard to see where things will be in five years? You know, this, this industry is so nascent. You know, we jokingly refer to it. I, I, you know, I tell people I'm, I'm seven years in the industry, but they're really dog years. So I'm, you know, approaching 50 in cannabis. Um, and, and there's so much that happens. And I, I don't think that federal legality is coming anytime soon, unfortunately. And I know that goes against what many people say. I've just, you know, I've been around too many politicians, you know, that they're going to tell you what you want to hear. And at the end of the day, getting something to move that's that major, um, I, I don't see happening anytime soon. Even if it does, it's going to remain a highly regulated industry. And so for us, I think, I think we understand the branded card networks will come eventually. And I think for us, it's getting ourselves in a position where we can provide that service, you know, and I mean to oversimplify, but at the flip of a switch for our ecosystem um, at a, at a rate that's, you know, comparable to what mainstream industry operates in um, and, and really just help the industry be transparent and thrive. And, and, you know, we're a battleship. So we move quick. 
we adjust quickly because we know that we have to and we expect change quickly. So um, I, I don't know if I can answer that, you know, succinctly, uh, but but that's that's kind of how we think about this world. And, and we're also, we're going to be going into other industries shortly as well. Do you care to share anything more on that? Other industries as far as like what kind of industries? Yeah, I think, you know, again, we're seeing we're seeing the pain points in other highly regulated industries and people are coming to us naturally saying, Hey, you've, you've been able to quote unquote conquer that. And that's, you know, that's kind of the pinnacle of, you know, I would say compliance issues. So can you help us with this? So, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, and I'm just throwing some things out there that are high risk, you know, again, all your money service businesses, it's how they refer to them, check cashers, payday lenders, cross border amends, you know, potentially online gaming, you know, things that, that have present major issues to institutions trying to bank them. I think all of those things are in play for us. Do you find that Hyper does some things really well and some things just, you're just not built for? Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think you can't be everything to everyone, right? And, and because we deal with so many different aspects of the industry, it's been a challenge for us. Um, and we've tried to make adjustments quickly. We've tried to you know, we're always trying to grow and much of what we've become is as a result of, you know, uh, regulators asking questions of institutions that they couldn't answer or, you know, us, could we provide this level of data on these certain things? So, yeah, I think, um, you know, I think to say that, you know, we've operated in a flawless manner is, is, is not, it's just not accurate. We're trying to grow. We're always trying to improve and we're trying to do that based off market feedback. So, um, so the answer is no, but you know, those things have also helped us get better. Do you find that now you've seen opportunities for like, boy, hyper hyper is getting pretty good at helping people with the banking side of things, helping people with that transaction, you know, from the, from the, uh, consumer to making those transactions happen seamlessly. But we've noticed that, man, there's a gap here. We would love some help. If somebody would just come in and 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 do this other thing, do you feel like there's? Uh, I guess I'm asking kind of an open-ended question here, but you're you're just at the forefront of something that really we don't know anybody else who's who's there. Yeah, right. You just don't go in right. Like if I need my medicine delivered, I have to go through Hyper in Utah. Yeah, that's how this works. Yeah, because the statute won't allow cash. Well, and that's also a testament to to the state government having an extensive background in banking and not wanting to see the industry go through the same hardship that's happened happened in every other market. So, you know, I know that that's a little bit of a challenge for the industry, but at the end of the day, it's the best thing they could have done. You know, again, going back to the compliance side of this, they really understood the challenges and wanted to mitigate that exposure and that hardship. Um, so I, I, I guess I would answer a question like this. I, I think that, again, the cannabis industry is so nascent. Every market's its own planet, right? You can't compare Utah to Oklahoma. You can't compare uh, Arizona to New York, right? They're all so different. And so we've really tried to integrate with the right partners that have solved problems in those areas to make the process for the consumer more seamless. Um, and I think that to, to, to that question the product that we're about to launch, I think addresses a lot of those things and is, is, has been developed based on consumer demand, merchant need, 
um, in providing the industry with something that's uh, much more mainstream. Yeah, I think that the, the patients here, the, the customer here, there's been some talk that's, you know, 30 to 50% of the transactions have hiccups because of the onboarding process. It's not necessarily hyper. It's the onboarding process to make sure that your bank is connected to the system so that they can withdraw funds and transfer funds. And that that has been quite cumbersome. But just like with the EVS, the electronic verification system in Utah, that system is also extremely cumbersome. And, and it just seems like at every turn, in fact, a lot of patients will tell you this, it seems like Utah doesn't want me to smoke weed at every turn. Yeah. Right. They're just making it hard, hard at every turn. Yeah. And, and, you know, from our standpoint, I mean, I, I will, you know, I'll be very candid with you. One of the things that happened probably nine months ago is when Plaid was about to get acquired by Visa, they went out to any operator that was using Plaid for verification that had any tie to cannabis and said, you're gone. You're off the platform. And so, you know, that that's a big part of hyperpay, right? We, we've got to verify those funds. Again, you're getting into compliance. And so we've had to shift to another provider. Um, that's been challenging. And then there's some smaller institutions in Utah that maybe aren't up to speed from a technology standpoint, which also complicates those things. So those are things that our team is very aware of. We're working through them on a daily basis and trying to mitigate those issues. But again, the new product that's coming out, I think you're going to find that that really addresses a lot of those pain points. And I think that it will be very, very beneficial to not only the merchants, but the consumers first and foremost in the Utah market. And I'm sorry to be vague, guys. I just, we're probably two weeks out. And so I'll be able to share more at that time. Now, what's your background, Tyler? I mean, we didn't even go there really. Have you always been involved in cannabis or is it more financial that your background is or? Yeah, um, I, uh, I grew up in Arizona, went to school in Northern California. I was a baseball player. Uh, so I did that for a number of years on the East Coast. Uh, I was in the Mets organization for a long time. Uh, and then when I got out, uh, I worked for a private equity real estate firm in Arizona uh, kind of cut my teeth on the investment side. And then I, I started a sports drink company uh, with the founders of Four Loco, ironically. Yeah. Remember yeah that's that? a good Every beverage. Yeah. Yeah. One, one of the founders is a close friend of mine. And so, um, you know, really dove into that, the beverage world, CPG, dealing with retailers, dealing with distributors. Um, and after about six years of that, uh, transition right into hyper day one. And so I've been on the front lines of, the, of this industry in a very unique way and, and really been very lucky to see it, you know, from, from the front of the front lines. Uh, you know, we, we see everything from the financial institutions out, but that gives us transparency into who's doing what, what markets are doing what, what are regulators looking for, what are state governments looking for, you know, what's the federal government trying to do. And, you know, so we you know, it's, it's been a rocket ride and I'm very thankful for, you know, just to be, just to be in it. You know, it's been, it's been amazing. Do you feel like you have a better or, I mean, certainly you have a different insight, but to me, it seems like you might have a better insight as to what's happening nationally um, because of, well, how many states is Hyper in? Uh, we're in every state with a market, but, but even then, you know, at this point, typically if a state's considering it, 
we're typically involved or I'm typically involved at least just, you know, to be a, a sounding board or, um, you know, be a resource. I mean, I, like I said, I was thinking that you're probably in a position to where you could see the, you can see the shifting in a different way than everybody else, because you have visibility essentially into every marketplace and, and what the nation is doing even more so than huge cannabis companies like Curaleaf or, you know, like huge retail operators like MedMen, you know, they, they can only see as far as they can uh, reach. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, I've, I've, uh, you know, I've helped a lot of those companies as well, just with, you know, maybe certain points of information that are general in certain markets. But yeah, again, going back to being fortunate, I mean, not only that, I mean, we've been able to see most transactions from a consolidation standpoint, because when there's a change of beneficial ownership, typically we know about it first, you know, so it's been really fascinating to watch not only the consolidation, but also the public markets, you know, have been very interesting. And you saw this big influx of money into the Canadian companies because the Canadian companies were going to operate in the first legal market. Then they were going to come down and acquire everything in the U S and, and I think, you know, I actually, I, I posted about this on LinkedIn the other day. I actually think it's going to happen in reverse. I think the Canadian companies, they're losing money at an unsustainable rate. They have no exit. You know, the, the notion that export is going to be a viable business model um, is, I think, a fallacy. Uh, I think that the, the Canadian market as a whole, I, I think... I think the tax revenues generated by the state of California alone are greater than the entire Canadian cannabis market today. Um, I think that's, you know, that's a huge problem for them, right? And then the massive influx of money into those companies with the notion that they're going to come down and, and acquire the U.S. MSOs upon federal legalization, that, that may not happen anytime soon. They're bleeding money like crazy. The U.S. MSOs continue to gobble up assets and the revenues are going through the roof. And the point that so few talk about is if the U if federal legalization falls, all of the U S MSOs uplist to the U S markets and the whole advantage for the Canadian companies is gone, you know? So it's, it's really interesting to see, you know, kind of the public sentiment about different companies as opposed to what's really happening on the ground floor. And then state by state, you know, investors, you know, they, they always want to know what's happening. And, you know, there are certain states that I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole from an investment standpoint. Uh, Oklahoma comes to mind as number one. Um, I think they've issued a retail license for every 80 patients in the state, uh, which is a giant sprint to the bottom. And then you've got markets like candidly Utah from an investment standpoint. I don't know that there's a better market in the country. You've got a very limited regime. You've only got 14 retail licenses, about to be 15, as you know. You've only got eight cultivators, chronic pains in approved condition, you know, and these guys are doing revenues that are, are healthy, even for a rec market already. So um, very bullish about Utah specifically for those reasons. That's really interesting because I, I there's a lot of different opinions here. And like, you know, one of the things I was thinking of when you were talking about Canada and exporting cannabis to the United States. I had talked about this to, to somebody else. Chris, we've talked about it too. There is an army of, uh, a, a legit army of cannabis growers in the U.S. 
disparate systems, but there are so many people and so much infrastructure being built, all separated, all not together. There's no scale per se, but all you've got to do is inject a little bit of money and there'll be instant scale. And in 37, 40 states that all grow, that all, that all grow. Yeah, and I think you're going to see the, the operators that have dominated the, the California cannabis industry. You know, you've got premium flour being grown there outdoor at a cost that, I, I'm sorry, I don't see anybody in Canada even getting remotely close to competing with. And they're only going to expand scale, right? Yeah. And then you're, you're seeing it in other markets already. It's, it's going to come, become commoditized. And then the other part of it is, even if fe- the federal legal status changes, I don't see interstate commerce occurring anytime soon either. That's a whole other issue that's got to be addressed. So, you know, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if in the next two years, you saw the U.S. MSOs acquire the Canadian assets at pennies on the dollar and the whole dynamic get reversed because what they're doing right now is not sustainable and the U.S. market just continues to thrive. Hmm, wow. And in the meantime, instant ACH kind of solves a lot of the problems for, uh, for, the, for the consumer, really. And, and our new product will and too. And your new product will too. And, and so that's just, just going to get easier for essentially people in every state. Now, can I register, if I'm registered at Hyper, can I purchase cannabis in other states using that same system or are they, they separate? You can. Yeah. No, you can, you can, if uh, any state you're in, um, like if there's a, like if you're in California, you could go to Cleva and purchase with Hyper, you know, so it doesn't matter what state you're in. If it's a legal transaction, you can, uh, you can consummate it at those retailers. Just give people another incentive to walk through the process, even if they think it's a, it's just one extra step, right? Sure. I know it's not ideal. Um, and, and look, if we could, yeah, I mean, we're always trying to improve it, but if we could, you know, mitigate those things and make it just a straight mainstream credit card transaction, sure. we would. Uh, but unfortunately, we can't today. So we're doing the best we can and we're trying to get it. We're always trying to improve. I think it's a great alternative. I think it's a great choice. I think it's a great to have that as an option uh, for people to purchase. Yeah, I do too. And from the provider standpoint, I mean, we are only looking for expansion of the information, destigmatizing cannabis as a tool in the in the medicine toolbox, right? And if I can get somebody off of opioids and they're in Moab, and they need delivery, or they're in some rural area, or they can't get out of bed. Frankly, we have tons of patients who just can't get to the to the dispensary, the pharmacy, yeah. and so they need that home yeah. delivery. I agree, cash is not a good idea for home delivery because you end up with drivers who have forty thousand dollars driving around every day, and that's not safe. Yeah. In fact, I I just had a DEA prosecutor over at my house this last week that was talking about how much they hate cannabis because they hate guns. And the black market yeah. includes guns and people get shot because they can't, they have too much cash. Going back to highly regulated industries, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a challenge. And, and, you know, I think, I think also, you know, in, in going into delivery, I think one thing we found in, in some large sophisticated operators were already getting this before COVID COVID just sped it up. But I think that as markets expand, these retailers are realizing that the biggest addressable market now is the fringe consumer. That, that maybe 
uh, doesn't know they love edibles yet, but, uh, you know, they're going to, or, or, uh, but those people expect an Amazon-like experience. They expect convenience. They expect it to be mainstream and they're not going to stand for, you know, a non-mainstream mechanism. And so again, going back to, you know, what we're about to do, um, it's much more in that vein. Um, and, and we want to, we, again, same, same concept. I mean, yes, we're in this for profit, but we also want to provide a compliant, sustainable means of transaction to an industry that's the cat's out of the back. It's here. It's thriving. And to your point, if we can get people off of opioids and all of these other awful pharma products that have just ruined lives over and over, you know, we can't do it fast enough. I agree a hundred percent. I agree a hundred percent. Anything else you want to ask him, Tim, while we have him? I mean, I don't want to hold him up here all day. I'm sure, I'm sure Tyler's got uh, other things he wants to go do. I, you know, anything else you want to talk about Tyler, why we got to here or? Um, I, I don't think so. I guy. feel like we kind of skimmed I mean, the surface with a lot of things and, and kind of gave the overall. Yeah. The, I think uh, that it's, uh, idea. this is an important conversation. Like I've, I've said, and I, I, um, I'm excited to have you on. I think it explains a lot to people who are willing to listen to, you know, this interview and to dig in a little bit about the process of payments, why it's this way, um, and what's, and what you're working on to try to help, you know, for the most part, the bankers, yeah, people are, you know, they need a place to put the retailers need a place to put their money. They need to be able to be legal so they don't get shut down. And on our side, we deal with so many consumers who just need access, need better access. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, it's been really exciting. One of, one of the, one of the thing I, I just throw out there just as a resource, if, if people want to contact us or me, um, they can find me on LinkedIn or, um, you know, they can get a hold of me. I mean, my, my phone number's out there. Um, I think at this point. So if anybody has any questions or needs a referral to a bank or credit union that will bank them, the one thing we've done since the beginning is anytime somebody calls us, you know, it doesn't matter where they're at, doesn't matter what their situation is, hemp CBD, cannabis, any of those other highly regulated industries, we will always refer them directly to an institution that will bank them. And we don't, we've never asked for anything in return. We just, we want to help. We want to be that resource. So if anybody needs it, uh, please have them reach out. Uh, and then, and then I guess just, you know, people could check out the hyper app, go download it in any app player or app store on their phone, you know, app, uh, iPhone, Android, whatnot. And you're going to need it in Utah. If you want home delivery or you don't want to, you don't want to go to the ATM at the pharmacy or, uh, use cash. I mean, that is, that is the option. And there's no cost to the consumer. Well, we'll wrap this episode up. Thank you so much, Tyler. Um, really quickly, while we're recording here, we want to mention uh, that you can download all the episodes of the podcast. You can listen to those at utahmarijuana.org slash podcast. Anything else you want to add? Uh, anything else you want to say and tell the listeners, Tim, before we wrap this episode up? No, I don't think so. Thanks, guys, for listening. Stay safe out there.